0: Hi, everyone. My name is Stephanie Smith, host of the Connection Place podcast, where we connect our heart's passion for God with our mind's understanding of scripture, where we come together in the place where Christ longs to connect with us, his word. All right. All right. Here we are at the fourth and last Sunday of Advent, Christmas Eve, in fact. And so far we've covered all of Luke chapter one and the first 24 verses of Luke chapter two. We've learned all about the prophetic words and encounters surrounding the births of John the Baptist and Jesus, and we've witnessed the actual births of John the Baptist and Jesus. You might think we've covered everything when it comes to Jesus' birth, but there is more. Before we dig in, I'd invite you to go back and catch up on the previous episodes in this Advent series if you haven't yet. So let's dive deeper into chapter 2 where we discover and hear from a couple of people who are very excited about the arrival of the Messiah. We'll start in verse 25 and we'll meet Simeon. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Okay so let's zoom out and see what's happening here in the text before we try to analyze anything. Luke introduces us to a righteous and devout man named Simeon. He, like many others, has been waiting eagerly for the arrival of the Messiah to save Israel. The Holy Spirit comes and reveals to him that he would not die until he had actually put his eyes on the Messiah. Then, the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple. As it turns out, Mary and Joseph were also in the temple at the same time, dedicating Jesus to the Lord. Simeon saw Jesus, held him in his arms, and exclaimed a prophetic proclamation, that he had seen God's salvation, and that Jesus will be a light to the nations. Both Mary and Joseph were, naturally, amazed at what was being said by Simeon about Jesus. Then Simeon blesses them, and says to Mary some things that are simultaneously encouraging and troubling about Jesus' destiny. Alright, so who exactly is Simeon? The text tells us that he is a man from Jerusalem, that he is righteous and devout, and that he is eagerly awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. We don't know any more details about him than that, but that's really all we need to know. Here, Luke is pointing out what makes him an accurate representative to be chosen for such a moment in time as this, his character, righteous and devout, and his hope for the Messiah. The text says he is eagerly waiting for the arrival of Israel's rescuer. So in this case, the Holy Spirit is in a sense rewarding these aspects of Simeon and telling us as readers today that the type of person who will truly get to know Jesus is one who is righteous, devout, and eager to meet him. But before you get discouraged, thinking, I'm not righteous enough, I'm not devout, what does eager even mean? Let's take some comfort from everything we've learned so far in studying these first chapters of Luke. God has involved many types of people to this point in the birth of Jesus. And we still have one more to learn about after Simeon. We've learned that Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people. So if you feel like you don't match up with Simeon here, that's okay. God still sees you. Jesus still wants to connect with you. And I would argue the very fact that you're here, listening to these words right now, means that you are eager to connect with Jesus too. All the same, Simeon has been chosen here as a witness and representative of the Jewish people to encounter the Messiah they've all been waiting for. And so we have here yet another miraculous encounter connected with the story of Jesus' birth. But this time it's not an angel, it's the Holy Spirit himself. Again, this was a big deal during those days when not anyone and everyone who believed had access to the Holy Spirit. That time just hadn't come yet. So Simeon encounters the Holy Spirit and the text tells us that the Holy Spirit reveals some pretty exciting information to Simeon. I wish we knew more about how exactly the Holy Spirit reveals this. Is it through a voice or words? Through a vision or a dream? We don't know. But we do know that the Holy Spirit lets Simeon know that he will not die until he sees the Messiah for himself. For someone who is eagerly awaiting the Messiah, what could bring greater joy? Then the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to the temple, and guess who else is also heading to the temple at the same time? Yep. That's right, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. This is during the time of purification and dedication to the Lord, so Jesus is about a month and a half old here based on what we learned in the previous episode. Simeon clearly recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah that the Holy Spirit promised he would see, because the text jumps right to Simeon holding Jesus in his arms and prophesying over him. He praises God and he says, Sovereign Lord, Now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people Israel. I just love how the Holy Spirit not only makes good on His promise to Simeon, but He also gives Simeon a word to speak over Jesus, a word that sheds even more light on the significance of who Jesus is and will be. Simeon says he can now die in peace as God promised, which is pretty awesome in and of itself because who doesn't want to die in peace? What a sweet gift that God has given Simeon here, showing that God sees Simeon, sees his love and devotion, his heart for the people of God. It's a beautiful thing and something we see often throughout the scriptures, that God indeed loves to bless his people. It is an interesting thing, though, that a promised death of peace can be considered a blessing when most of us would probably think that dying would not be a blessing. It's a good reminder for us that not all blessings are going to look like the way we think, but they are still blessings nonetheless. Simeon then says these things about Jesus, that he is God's salvation prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nation's And he is the glory of God's people, Israel. Jesus is salvation, light, and glory. Salvation, again, meaning to save all of us from the wretchedness of sin. Light, to reveal God to the nations, which means he's going to make God known to those who don't know him yet. And glory, Jesus is the glory of those people who do know God already and are known and set apart by God. He is what they've been waiting for. So again, we see in just a few words how Jesus is really here for some specific purposes and that those purposes are meant to touch all people. Those people who haven't known him yet, those people who know he's coming and are waiting for him, and all people, because all people need salvation from sin. Mary and Joseph continue to be amazed at these things being said about Jesus. I can imagine that no matter how much you know that Jesus is the Son of God and that means some pretty incredible things, that experiencing so many prophetic moments about your son probably never gets old. Then Simeon blesses them and has a second prophetic proclamation. He says to Mary, which the text makes a point to tell us is the baby's mother, he says to Mary the following things, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. This time, the prophetic proclamation isn't so warm and fuzzy. There's definitely some warning in here, too. Through the Holy Spirit, Simeon tells us that Jesus is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. This means that the people of God will encounter Jesus and have to make a choice about him. Do they accept that he is the Messiah they've been waiting for? Or do they reject him? He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. Again, Jesus being the Son of God will not mean all roses and butterflies and rainbows. There will be pain, suffering, and opposition, because people will either not recognize him for who he is, or they will be threatened by him. Many in power, in particular, will not appreciate Jesus and the authority he claims. They will go against him because they don't like or believe in him. Simeon continues and says that as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The simple truth is that Jesus doesn't leave much room for you to be neutral about him. He either is or he isn't who he claims to be. And these claims will cause people to confront what they believe in the deepest part of themselves. We know this is still going on today. Then Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. Talk about heavy. If I'm Mary, to this point I've only heard great and wonderful things, but now this is probably going to give me some pause. What is Simeon saying when he says, by the Holy Spirit's revelation, that a sword will pierce Mary's soul? I expect this is something she ponders a great deal after the fact, but we can, with the benefit of knowing how this plays out, infer what this is referring to. Mary's son will suffer during the years of his public ministry at the hands of those who reject and oppose him, and he will die a brutal and undeserved death on the cross, and Mary will witness it all. For a mother's heart, I'm not sure there is greater suffering to behold. All right, so that's Simeon. Let's move to the last person we'll meet who is connected to the birth story of Jesus, Anna. Let's cover this last stretch of verses. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night. Worshipping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Again, let's zoom out and assess what's going on here. Anna is identified as a prophet, is from one of the twelve tribes of Israel, and is very old and a widow. She spends basically all of her life at the temple worshiping God through fasting and prayer. She happens to also be in the temple at the same time as Simeon when Mary and Joseph arrive with Jesus, and she begins praising God for Jesus, talking about him to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So I don't know about you, but I find my head spinning thinking about and contrasting these two people that God includes in Jesus' birth story. I think there's something here that is both expected and unexpected in who God includes. Let's talk about the expected. Both Simeon and Anna are clearly devout people. They are righteous people who love God and have devoted themselves to him. They are eagerly awaiting the Messiah, the Rescuer of Jerusalem. These are the kinds of people we expect God to want to be part of his story. But, as we'll see in the way Jesus lives his life and the people he encounters, We know that not all of God's people start this way. But we do know that God's people finish up this way. Because when we choose Jesus, really choose him, love and devotion and seeking to live like Christ is part of that choice. But don't take these words to your heart in a way that allows shame to slip in. No, no. There's no shame or condemnation in Christ. Because remember, perfection is not the same thing as devotion. Legalism is not the same thing as a devout heart. Above all, remember that we all need a Savior, which means we all need saving from our sins, even those of us who have been marked as righteous and devout people. In any case, it's not surprising to us that God would choose to include righteous and devout servants in the birth story of Jesus. What is surprising are some of the other things we know. We actually don't know for certain in Simeon's case, but it might be reasonable to surmise that he's not a young person, given that he's accepting of the idea of his death after meeting Jesus. But we do know for certain that Anna is very old. So here we have at least one, but likely two, elderly people. In many societies, and especially in American culture, the elderly are not given very much notice and not seen as being able to contribute very much. But God clearly doesn't see it that way. Also surprising, Anna is a woman, a prophet, and a widow. I find all three of these facts about her to be extremely intriguing when you consider her place in the story of Jesus. Again, we see God is not shy about including women and giving them central roles in his kingdom. In fact, she's a prophet. Prophets are basically mouthpieces, messengers for God. People who receive revelation from God and who other people rely on to communicate on behalf of God. That's a big deal, to have a woman as a messenger for God. And not only a messenger, but one of the very first people to lay eyes on Jesus and know him for who he is. There is no mention of the Holy Spirit here, as contrasted with Simeon's account that clearly discusses the Holy Spirit. So we don't know how Anna knows that this is the rescuer of Israel. But she does know it, and she, as a prophet and messenger of God, wastes no time in telling others who Jesus is which makes her not only a prophet, but an evangelist too. And let's not discard the fact of Anna's being a widow. And not just a widow, but a widow for practically her entire adult life. The text tells us she was only married for seven years. We don't know how old she was when she got married, but it might be fair to assume she was fairly young, in keeping with the culture in those times. In scripture, God often refers to looking after widows and orphans as being a way to honor him and take care of his people. This is because widows, particularly if they didn't remarry, and orphans were two of the most vulnerable people groups, and still are today, honestly, because they really don't have any means of their own to care for themselves. We don't know why Anna chose not to remarry, but it would seem reasonable, based on the text, that she opted to devote her life to God instead. I would even go so far as to say she chose God for her ultimate husband, and indeed the church is often referred to as the Bride of Christ. We know from the text that she basically lived at the temple. I'm not sure if that's literally true. Maybe she had a home. But either way, it sounds like she spent the vast majority of her time worshiping God through prayer and fasting. Talk about devotion. To bring it full circle, we have two examples of the expected and unexpected in who God folds into his story. Righteous, devout, eagerly anticipating the Messiah, That's expected. Elderly, a woman, a widow, unexpected. And when we add in the other people we've met along the way so far, we've got people of all social statuses, economic levels, ages, locations. God is here to reach far and wide for his people. All right. So that's Simeon and Anna. They've both met Jesus in the flesh and seen the Messiah they've been waiting for with their very own eyes. They've prophesied about him and told everyone about him. And with that, we've now reached the end of Luke's account of Jesus' birth. He wraps this section of the text with the next two verses. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up, healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. One more time, let's zoom out and assess what's happening here. Jesus' parents have met all the requirements of the Mosaic Law and return home to Nazareth. Jesus grows up there, healthy and strong, filled with wisdom. God's favor was on him as he grew. Two verses, but a lot here to consider. First, Luke continues to beat the drum about Mary and Joseph's faithfulness to the law. As we've discussed, this is important to make sure we understand that Jesus was and is legitimate in every way. They also return to Nazareth. We'll discover later through the way others speak about Nazareth that it's probably not known for being an amazing place. In fact, when considering Jesus, the people say, can anything good come from Nazareth? But nonetheless, this is where Jesus grows up. Again, this solidifies that humility is really important to God and that humble circumstances do not necessarily reflect the treasure contained therein or how deeply God loves and cares for us. Then, we basically, more or less, skip right over Jesus' childhood with this last verse. We understand that Jesus grew up healthy and strong, that he was filled with wisdom, and that God's favor was on him. I know for sure that I'd love to know what Jesus was like as a child. Was he strong-willed? Sweet? Obedient? Mischievous? We know he didn't sin, he lived a perfect life, Yet, it's hard to imagine any child living perfectly. So, was he really a perfect angel, growing up due to the favor of God being on him? Or perhaps he still made mistakes and messes and could be a difficult child without actually sinning and while still having God's favor. This makes more sense to me as a mother watching my own children grow. In any case, these things about Jesus growing up, healthy and strong with wisdom and in God's favor, are absolutely wonderful prayer points for each of us who are parents to pray over our own children. Honestly, they're great prayer points for any one of us. I appreciate God giving us this sort of model in just a few words of how we can pray for our kids and one another. Alright, that's a wrap on my insights and questions for this episode. Time for some fun commentary facts. According to the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the unabridged version, For Luke, in verse 25, another rendering of Simeon waiting for the one who would rescue Israel is that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Consolation in this usage is capitalized as a title. This is referring to Jesus being the consolation of Israel, which references Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2, where God would end Israel's time of alienation and suffering through the coming, or advent, of the Messiah. Speaking of Advent, before we wrap today's episode, there's one more reminder that this is an Advent series, and the theme for today, the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, is, appropriately, love. We've come full circle, starting with hope, moving through peace and joy, and closing the gap with love. Remember that for God, the greatest commandment is to love, to love Him and to love people. For God, it is love which covers a multitude of sins. It is love that bade God to come to earth in human form, in the fully human and fully God form of Jesus. It is love that compelled Jesus to the cross, where he was able to think nothing of its shame as he looked forward with joy to who he loved the most, us. It is the unchanging, unfading love of Christ which changes our lives and ourselves from deep within. We do not earn this love through performative Christianity. No, we live our lives and do our good works because we are so loved. If you were the only person on this earth in need of salvation, Christ's love for you is so deep that he would have accepted death on the cross all the same. It is only in knowing that God's love could never be more or less that we can love others in return with the same kind of abandon. The phrase, all we need is love, is a true statement after all, because Jesus is love, and his love, an example of how to love, truly is all we need. One more note on love. I have absolutely loved digging deep into these first chapters of Luke with you. The word of God is such a treasure, with depths to explore, And I'm grateful I've gotten to do that with you. Thanks again so much for listening. I hope today's episode has blessed you and encouraged you in your pursuit of Jesus through his word. See you next time here at The Connection Place.